Well, good morning, slash, it's almost afternoon. <laughs> I'm Pastor Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my, uh, my privilege to uh, welcome you once again. Um, today we're going to have some fun. I believe that, I believe that you're going to be blessed this morning, ministered to in different ways. Let me ask you a question. How many of you came here today expecting to meet from God? I love the show of hands, because as I would like to tell you, is something I learned in Bible school um, was that you never ask open-ended questions, because you never know what the response will be. But I'm so glad that many of you already raised those hands. How many of you desire God to do a new work in your life? All right, we see more hands. This is what we're going to do. I believe in rewarding participation. But God says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. This is something that I've hammered home with the kids. So those hands, put those hands back up. Where were those hands? This is a little candy cane, just a little treat. It's a little fleshly thing that we can all enjoy. But there's a reason for this. There's a purpose to this. Today, we're going to live with an expectation and belief that God is going to do something incredible in our midst. And I'm going to ask one of the ushers, if you guys can continue handing out these to uh, those who have their hands raised. I appreciate it. Yeah, the reason, for the, again, for that is to see and to build faith in us that we truly can meet with Jesus this morning. How many of you here came expecting a miracle or desiring for a miracle? I see that hand. Why not? <laughs> God who spoke still speaks and is at work in us today. Amen? And today we're going to look at the gift of faith. I believe and I, that you would agree that Jesus calls us to be a people of faith. But what kind of faith? The fact that we already believe in Jesus, that we have our salvation because of that belief, that's ensured. But I want to talk to you guys about a spiritual gift of faith, the belief, the boldness, the expectation that God can do incredible things in our life, even things that we dare not expect, but also the things that we never even imagined. We're going to look at a story about a Roman centurion who I believe will show us that when we live with an expectant yet revenant type of faith, we will see God do what he promised to do, that we will see him do amazing things in our life. And so in this moment, I want to pause and just honor God in this moment. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would minister this morning. Even though I've prepared, I, I ask that your words that you would have to be seed into our lives would take root. Have your way in this meeting. Have your way in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We desire your perfect, pleasing will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many love the Christmas season? I'm with you. That's also part of why I have a candy cane here today. They're tasty, they're yummy, but it signifies a joyous time. For some, it's about giving gifts. Who likes receiving gifts? Some of you received a candy cane already. Now, be mindful, if someone dozes off, I might hit you with one. <laughs> that was from Richie. That was Richie's idea. I got to give him the credit. We love receiving gifts, right? 
Many times we anticipate, we expect what we're going to what we're going to unbox on Christmas Day. Sometimes you, you come to the tree, you open the box, and it's not exactly what you were hoping for, but you love the gift giver anyway. And for some, Christmas is about spending time together, enjoying those moments. Maybe it's over a deliciously cooked meal. Maybe it's watching one of those Christmas movies. I think Die Hard's the one that's usually on television. It's true, it, it's always on for some reason. <laughs> we have all these different reasons of why we gather. It's a joyous time. It's meant to be a time also of goodwill, of sharing, as I mentioned. But it can also be a time of great need. But how many here today would say, it's in the time of great need that we can see great things from God? I'm going to encourage the showing of hands. I'm telling you, I have, a, I have a charismatic Pentecostal background. I love participation because it, it, it helps give me feedback of where we're tracking, where we're headed. It's not, it's not to glorify me. It's just so I know that you're being ministered to and we want to lean into that. Anyway, <laughs> so today we're going to believe for some miracles to take place in this house. We believe that God is going to touch your life. You came here today expecting God to share a word that would change your life. We're going to believe for that today. The scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news of Jesus. As we turn to Luke chapter 7, we're going to see how that centurion took this good news about Christ and allowed it to transform and impact his life in the life of those in his household. So if you would turn with me, if you have your Bibles, we should have it on the screen, to Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the high, highly valued slave, a Roman officer, was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just as before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. Praise God that the one who spoke still speaks today. We're going to believe that this story can translate to the here and the now. So if you're here today and you're maybe questioning, wondering if God is still living and active, I encourage you, I implore you to come before God, even in this moment, in your heart, say, Lord, speak to me today. Speak to me today. 
When I first went to Bible school, my one petition and prayer over and over again was that the Lord would enable me to be more than a historian of Scripture. I want to be a scribe. I want to be someone who saw God do miracles, wonders, signs, and acts that he did when he was on this earth. After all, Scripture says anyone who believes in him will walk as Jesus walked. And he says anyone who believes in me will do these works and even greater works. So we see from our passage here today, we're in a town called Capernaum. So we're being transported there right now. And this kind of place had a a population of about 1,500. They're on the northern shore of Galilee. A little bit insignificant in that regard, but yet it was a hub of activity for Christ. He made this kind of his business center of ministry. Luke shows us that it was in this place, in this region, where he healed a demon-possessed man. When he healed this demon-possessed man, the, the people were astonished. They were amazed at what had happened. This guy cured this man who's been, who's been oppressed by this demon for so long. To the fact that this, this man ran after Jesus wanting to go with him, to follow him. You gotta love that, that level of devotion immediately following a miracle. And yet Jesus says to this man, he says, go and tell others what has happened. I believe that Jesus wants this good news, these kind of stories to stir so they can transform our community. He's going to use your life to do that very thing. We can see in Luke, we're not going to read the passage, but that he also healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law from a, a very serious fever. He even healed a man who was paralyzed We've all heard the story, I'm sure, of, of devoted friends lowering this, this person through the roof while Jesus was preaching. you got to love the fact that he stopped a moment to acknowledge what was going on. He didn't say, well, hold on a second. got like a, a liturgy set up here. We can't put that in right now. He said, no. He, he ministered right to the, the man on the spot. Your faith has healed you. And so what I'd like to encourage us with this morning is that These signs attest to who Jesus is, his authority, his sonship of the Most High God, and his authority. That his authority, sorry, is ever-reaching. It can reach across any distance, not just then, but now. It highlights the plan that God is bringing everything together under his authority. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that he fills everything everywhere with his presence? It may not see it, amen. He may not see that today. It might be difficult in the world that we live, but he does. He promises to do so. And so we want to be a kind of people that lives in expectation that he does just that. Let's see how important good news is. Look at verse two. At that time, a highly valued slave of the Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent the elders to say to Jesus, come and heal. Now, this centurion commanded 100 men. He was one of six in the Roman army in a legion of 1,000. And his responsibility was discipline and overseeing morale. Can you imagine how difficult it would be to look after that discipline and morale of 1,000 soldiers? So you can understand why the, the, the Roman army was subdivided into smaller divisions. 
And so he's responsible for this morale. So you can see how this slave being ill can impact morale. He had all this authority, influence. We can see from the passage that I read that he had the means to even build a synagogue for the Jews. And yet, with all his influence, his means, his authority as a commander, he realized that his authority had limits and he needed Jesus. How many times has God used our needs those times to show that we have limits. The hope, the, there's no inner hope within us and anything that can just accomplish the impossible or working of miracles. That's within the agency of Lord Jesus. And so we see that this centurion, he needed Christ to do what he could not. My first point I want to stress with us is that he embodied a risk-taking faith. How many people like taking risks? Good risks. Now, I see we have a pilot here today, one of our elders. And you could imagine, you wouldn't want your pilot taking a risk while flying the airplane. Well, you know, maybe I haven't really trained a simulator lately on a few of these buttons. You wouldn't want him just messing around on the dials, which he wouldn't do that because he's a great pilot. But there's some risks that are good. In this case, the centurion was willing to step out to do something he had never done. To surrender before Jesus to say, look, I recognize authority higher than I. He put himself out there. What if Jesus said no? Which we know he wouldn't, but it's a possibility because the centurion was a Gentile. He was outside the promise and covenant of God, or so he thought, based on what the Jewish elders were teaching and saying. But Jesus was changing the narrative. He was saying the kingdom of God is for all people, all who call on the name of Jesus. So he reached out to Jesus. And the other reason why this was a risk was because as a centurion, yes, he was under the authority of Rome, but there was agreement with the local king in the region. That's King Herod. Capernaum was within the borders of his kingship. The same king who sought out to kill Jesus from the very beginning when he was born in a manger. And so now you can see why this could be a, a, a form of a risk because anyone who associates with Christ, King Herod could say, no, 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 I see what you're doing. You're plotting against me. It's possible. Here you have a centurion who has 100 soldiers at his command. So it's, perhaps it was a risk. I believe it was. But it was a worthwhile risk. I'm sure if I pull the audience and ask you, have you ever taken a risk that yielded incredible results. I'm sure you would say that's happened in your life. One of those risks for myself was when um, I was at a church in Brantford, about 2000, year 2016, I was on this ministry uh, tour. And while in this uh, assembly, I got this massive pain in my side. Very distinct, however. And a part of this meetings, we had no agenda coming into these church events, these gatherings, but just desiring for God to move and believing that he would. And we, would, we found that yielding to him, surrendering ourselves to do as he saw fit, 
that we would see incredible things, and we did. And so some things that started to happen in my life was I started experiencing, as I mentioned, uh, uh, some sort of pains in my, in my body, and I started to realize that, wow, this, this could be a gift of healing along with the gift of faith. And so I stepped out very sheepishly because I was concerned that I would be humiliated. I'm going to step out and speak from the front and say, well, you guys, I know you don't know me, but I'm feeling this pain that I've never had before, and I, I checked myself for a bit just to make sure it wasn't me, but I'm pretty gosh darn sure it's not me. And I stepped out to say, I believe that there's someone here today the Lord desires to minister today. That pain that you've been experiencing, he's going to remove that. And so I shared that. No one came to the front. No one raised their hand. And I thought, oh, bah. And I, you know, went to my seat like a little sheep. Time went by. And it still touches my heart to this day. This man came in. Older gentleman, he stood up and, and he said, you spoke to me. I didn't want to raise my hand for, you know, for f- fear of being singled out. But that's me. And as, we, as I was sharing those things with him, he said that he felt like a tremendous heat in his body. And the pain went away. And he wasn't doing this to give us lip service, to, just to make us feel good or make this... Andrew, this young man, feel, oh, yeah, right, he was exercising faith. All right, we're going to act it out. It wasn't an act. It was genuine. And so in that case, it was a risk worth taking because then it, it created this incredible domino effect where God continued to minister, in, even in my life in that way, and I'll share it a little bit later on that. But a risk-taking faith is important. And we can see the centurion that no matter the political landscape, but the potential fallout for coming to Jesus, he pushed that aside because he cared deeply for his servant. What are we willing to risk? Who are we willing to risk for? To what lengths are we willing to go? Now, why did he care so much about this servant? I, this is one of the questions I was asking myself. It says he was highly valued. Why? Was it because he did a good job? I'm sure he did. I think, and this is me just speculating, that it went deeper than that. Centurions, as well as soldiers in the Roman army, they weren't permitted to get married. So they didn't have a family unit. So naturally, they would become very close. So this servant could have very very well been like family to this person. Saying, no, my my family member's ill. I'm not just going to replace them like a cog in the machine. I've heard this good news about Jesus. My goodness, he's healing the sick. I respect that authority. I say go and they go, come and they come, and I'm going to believe that he can touch my servant. But not just that, that he could heal him from a distance. And yet there was risk. But he was inspired by the good news that he heard. So we see in verse 3 that he sent these Jewish elders to bring a request before Christ. Now the request basically was very simple. Come and heal. Don't you love it? We don't have to dress it up. Just come and heal. And they said, if there's anyone that deserves it, this man does because, you know, he's so benevolent. He's built us a synagogue. We don't know the heart, the heartstrings behind their request, but we know that he built this synagogue. For the centurion to do that, it would have come at great sacrifice. 
even though he made a good living wage, much higher wage than the average soldier, it still would have cost something. Can you imagine if we needed a new building, which I believe we do, and one of you get impressed upon your heart, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a really good situation. Maybe you won the lottery, I don't know. But then you say, I'm going to build that church. That would be very benevolent. God bless you. If you're feeling that today, that would be, <laughs> you never know. But in this case, it would cost him something. But yet he did that very thing. But the Jewish elders were focusing on saying that he deserved it as if, as if he merited Jesus to come and do this. And so Jesus went. Now, why would he go? Because what we were looking at earlier is that he came to seek and save the lost, that the Gentiles were also included, to be included in the family of God. Jesus was breaking away that barrier of hostility through his message. And that's why Jesus went. But while he's on his way, Jesus sends another delegation, this time friends. How many people believe that friends can share our message much better than appointed officials? Maybe you've experienced that in your life. I, I sure know I have. Friends definitely represent you far better. And so they come to Jesus and they, and they share this message, this change of heart, if you will. The message was this. Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Again, his message is blunt and honest, but this time it came with a tone of reverence. In recognizing his authority, I believe that's what made him feel unworthy. Like, wow, you're the king of kings. Perhaps he started looking inward and, and was saying, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Gentile. Lord, don't, don't make yourself unclean by coming to my place because he would have had foods that would, would have made a Jew ritually unclean. But Jesus said, it's not the things that we partake, the things we surround ourselves that make us unclean, but it's that what comes out of our heart. This is something that Jesus spoke, part of the good news that would have reached the centurion before this event happened. But perhaps, maybe the centurion was feeling unworthy because of his career choice. After all, he's the commander of an army that unfortunately takes life from time to time. Maybe. There's some speculation there. Whatever it was, whatever his reason, what I like to focus on is that his humility paired with expectant faith was a vehicle for an incredible miracle to happen. It was a fertile soil in which this could take place and blossom. So point number two, humility does not undermine faith. Humility does not undermine faith. I love a quote that um, Charles Spurgeon once said that humility does not destroy faith. And neither does faith destroy humility. How many believe that today? The presence, in, the presence of Jesus, the proximity to us, especially when we're in a place of worship. I love the fact, Mark, that we can come here and we can worship together and we can meet with Jesus. I'm telling you, that's what gets me excited. 
In the past, people have questioned, like, oh, you're just kind of grandiose. It's, you know, it's, it looks like a show. I tell you right now, it's not a show. I said, the Lord Jesus has transformed my life. He's reached down the depths of my soul. And even the midst of my unworthiness showed me that I've been made righteous because of my union with him. And I can't help but praise him. I can't help but get excited because I've seen the things that he's done in my life in the life of family and friends. Such event is when my dad had this really bad uh, um, accident with his back. He was helping this friend one day move a shed. Has anyone moved a shed before? Or something really heavy? Well, you would think, well, we're going to need to get some heavy machinery. Well, Maybe they weren't so bright. This, the friend that asked my dad to help, they just had this manual pulley system of some kind. Right away, when I first heard the story, I thought, oh boy, I'm thinking just like a rope on like a little hook. And anyway, and as they're doing this, sure enough, the shed shifts and we all react, don't we? And he reacted like, oh, and he felt a pain immediately. And he felt in that moment like a really warm burning sensation. And he, he ended up um, finding out later on from the doctors he had two seriously damaged um, this in his back. And so I can't remember if it was later that day or the next day, but there was a prayer meeting going on. How many people like prayer meetings? I do when the prayer is, is focused on just seeing God intervene. When it's not lip service, but just really seeking after God. And so he says, I know, I'm gonna go to that prayer meeting tonight. And God is gonna touch me. He had that faith, and I, I respect my dad so much because he's always modeled that for me, to live with expectant faith. Who cares what other people say? If it's God, it's God. If it's genuine, it's genuine. Glorify God. And so he goes to this meeting, and he says, if they would just lay their hands on me, I will recover. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They laid hands on him, and he felt, just like he had that burning sensation when he hurt his back, he felt that very same thing when he was being healed. And to this day, he has no discomfort, no pain, praise Jesus. Nothing. An incredible moment that that good news has inspired me for years, which encouraged me, built up the faith, the step of faith for other people. There was one time when I was a place called Long Lack. Anyone been to Long Lack? You have? Wow, Al has been to Long Lack. It's like way up north. Okay, on the way to Winnipeg. It's up there. Everything's on the way to Winnipeg. <laughs> it's up there. And so we're in this location. We had this group of men. It's part of this ministry tour I was on. And this gentleman came in, and he said, you know, I had this really bad back problem. He had this significant, um, I want to say, disalignment kind of thing. I'm not a doctor. We have a doctor in the house, but I don't remember what the specifics were. But the point was he came there believing that God could change that situation. And even if he didn't, he would believe the giver of the gift still had his best intentions at heart, that he would still love Jesus anyway. That wouldn't change anything, but he had faith. Remember, the spiritual gift of faith is a believing, expecting that God can do incredible things because of his authority. And so this young man comes into the circle. And remember I shared that story from, uh, from Branford? This is after that. And Norm, my buddy, says, Andrew, you're going to pray for him. And I said, yes, I am. I, I, I have faith. I have faith. And we laid hands on this young man. And make a long story short, his, his back came into perfect alignment. Praise God, I heard that. Praise God. It's okay to shout it out. It's okay to, to give him glory. 
Because that's exactly who deserves the glory, not me, but Jesus. And he worked that miracle. And there was more. There's a place called Kirkland Lake. Al, have you been to Kirkland Lake? Okay, it's a mining community. We're in this community, and there was a bunch of people in the house that really had deep needs. There was a man that had worked in the, in the mines for a long time. He had like what they call like the black lung. Maybe if you've watched YouTube recently, you would have seen an article of these surgeons removing a 51 or 52-year-old male that had excessively darkened lungs. It wasn't a pretty picture. Really hard to breathe unusable as an organ donation. Anyway, this, this man had been, had been told by doctors he doesn't have much time to live. Unfortunately, it was, a, it was a consequence of his employment. There was nothing he could do about it. But that day, he had one of, he had this decision to make between two options. Either go to the hospital, because he was a significant discomfort. But he felt the Lord was telling him, I want you to go to this church on the corner. I didn't share this in the first service because I, I honestly didn't remember the story. He had never been to that church before, never stepped foot in a church, but he felt led to go there. He goes in, he comes to the meeting, and we're talking. We're talking about stories like this. And we said, we believe that God wants to touch you today. He wants to minister to you. He wants to heal you. And this man said, I believe. And so we went to him and we laid hands on him. And me again, I kind of get this, this worry just for a moment. Like, Lord, what if he isn't healed? Like, we got to push that out of our mind. Just believe that God will take care of the results. So we prayed for this man and just said, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We ask that you will minister to his lungs right now in Jesus' name. Bring everything into harmony and unity. May he breathe an incredible breath. Whatever the prayer was. It didn't matter what the words were. We believe what Jesus would do. And we knew before that we could tell. Just his, just his complexion. It was very difficult for him to breathe. But it changed almost in an instant. His appearance. Even I, I felt like color. Even though I'm colorblind. I felt like there was a significant change. And I said, my goodness. Are you breathing better? He says, yeah. Well, breathe like you've never been able to breathe before. He's like, we're like, oh, praise God. I'm telling you right now, I would do it. It's maybe a little over the top, but we just started jumping up and down. We're like, praise God. Like, we were so excited that God who spoke still speaks. And that inspired faith in an individual next to him, a man who couldn't hear in one ear. And I remember the promise, Jesus he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news. It included recovery of sight for the blind, but also he opened deaf ears. And so we, we spoke a word of faith of that man and said, okay, you can't hear out of this ear yet? Okay. We're going to pray and believe that Jesus is going to heal that for you right now. Within his will, of course. We prayed for him. And almost instantly again, wow, can you hear that? Yeah, no, like for real, because we're not trying to act this thing out. We're not trying to, you know, get people, hey, if you're on TV, you know, give us money or something. I, nothing like that. Just, hey, we believe Jesus is going to work, a miracle. And so I whispered in his ear a little something. And he says, yeah, and he tears flowing out. Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Praise God. That happened. These kind of things can happen. And so that's why I'm inspired 
And I, I reminisce when I read this passage that the centurion believed, just say the word and my servant will be healed. He didn't have a command for Jesus, but just a, a humble request, come to my house. But then he said, you don't even need to come, just say the word. That's expectant faith. That's expectant faith. And look at verse nine. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Seriously, in all of Israel, in the place in Capernaum, this hub of activity where you've seen all these miracles, people, there's been no one like that until now? Now, I know it's, we, can, we can harp on people as we read this text, but as we look inward, could we say that we're a people of like-minded faith? When we see someone who gets a terminal prognosis, do we just say like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man, they don't, and we go off, we say, they don't have long. Or is our first reaction, wow, like, that is, that's tough news. But do we then immediately progress to say, let's pray. Let's trust God. Let's believe. And overall, we're, we're at the mercy of the gift giver. There's reasons and purposes that I don't understand why he heals one and not the other. But that doesn't change or take away from the fact that to him is all authority and power. The same one who saved us is going to come back one day. And we're believing that same faith that we'll be caught up together with him. That doesn't change that. But we're believing here in the now that heaven can come to earth. That's why when we pray, right, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we believe that today? I want to be that kind of person that believes that. That right now, if Eric raised his hand and said, I have a need, well, Jesus can meet that need. That's the kind of faith I want to live in. I want to encourage you guys, if you're there today, if you're in that place, step into it. It's a worthwhile risk. People may question you, your intentions. Don't, don't get sidetracked by that. Don't, don't step in the area of doubt, but just believe what God is speaking to you in your heart. And look at, when we look at verse 9, what did Jesus find so noteworthy about the centurion? He said it was his faith. It wasn't his career. But a lot of times we introduce ourselves, we start off by saying what we do. But it wasn't that. Well, it wasn't his means. It wasn't his resources that Jesus was impressed by. Like, wow, you command 100 men and a legion of 1,000. That's impressive. He said, no, it was his faith. Even though he was so generous to the Jewish people, maybe the Jewish elders thought, oh, for sure, because he built us a synagogue, he's gonna, Jesus is going to show him some serious favor. I mean, there's favor, and then there's like real favor because he built this synagogue. As great as it was, all the good intentions that we do, even in this life, the good acts, the goodwill, that's pale into comparison to living by faith. And that's what I'm challenged with this morning. It's important during the Christmas season that we're entering into to act out in a way where we're, we're, we're considerate of our fellow man and we're doing things for others and, and involved in justice and all those things. But Jesus desires for us to be a people of faith too. So it's an incredible thing that comes together because imagine when you step out in faith, imagine the things, the words that you can speak. And so as we leave here today, just a few applications to remember that this gift 
is not our own. This gift of faith isn't our own. It comes solely from Jesus. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that to each of us, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to us to produce what? To produce what is beneficial. What's beneficial? To build each other up. To build each other up. It's not about what we put on our tool belt. Hey, look at me. I got the gift of faith. I got the gift of healing. It's not about that. And that's something that God was showing me even on this tour. It's easy sometimes to get puffed up. Be like, wow, we just saw this miracle. Wow, look at us. And then he, he has this ability just to humble you again to say, just remember in whom all authority and power flows. I can't remember if it's in Psalms or a proverb, but it doesn't matter. The point is it says that the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness and faithfulness flows out from him. He's faithful to do what he promised. Guys, today, church, let's believe that he's going to fulfill what he's promised. Those words he's spoken to us, the words that he's spoken in that synagogue about freedom for the captive, freedom for the oppressed, freedom um, for those who have, are blind, or, and you can imagine the whole list. A lot of times when we're in our need, we reach out to different things. I encourage you today, don't reach out to those things first. I used to say, as many preachers would, we like to go to Oprah, don't we? We like to turn on the TV and go see what even Dr. Phil wants to say about the subject. Well, let's knock on heaven's door who says that he hears from heaven. Let's ask him what Jesus thinks about the subject. After all, we've been united with Christ, seated with him in heavenly to him who sits on the throne in the, in, the, in the place of honor. He says, anyone, again, believes in me will do these works and gr greater works. Now, sure, there's counterfeits in the world. In this story, what I found interesting is historians said that healings like this took place. But they had never seen something like that happen from a distance. That's how Jesus separates himself from the pack. There's no one like him. People may try to counterfeit it but it's not the real thing. That's because the devil, the enemy of our souls, wants to deceive us, right? He's the master of lies. He says he's even masquerades himself as an angel of light. But don't be fooled by the counterfeit, but seek the genuine. Because I'm telling you right now from experience, when you seek the genuine, there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. And I'm so thankful that Jesus fulfilled the promise the prayer that I rendered to him was that, Lord, I don't want to be an historian. I want to be a scribe. And I'm so thankful that I've seen so much and there's still so much to see. So as the worship team comes, I want to encourage us to embrace a reverent, expectant faith. Don't shrink back. Even when, it, when times are tough or even prognoses seem so insurmountable, Let's go before the king. Let's trust him that he's the way maker. He's the gift giver. To him, all things are possible. Surely, if he can save depraved people, he can do anything. The one who created the heavens and the earth with his outstretched hand and mighty arm, he can do the same thing for us. And so as the worship team plays, we're going to believe in faith that the Lord is going to minister to you right now, in this moment. Experiencing goes far beyond an intellectual exercise. It's important to study, to review scripture. 
But now that we know who God is, his identity, we can now trust and believe that he's going to move as he promised. So without trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable or putting you on the spot, I'm going to encourage you, if you have a, a need today, we're, we're going to pray that those needs are met. I see that hand. So we're going to do one of two things. As, you, and as we do this little exercise, I know it might be a little different, is I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. That's just for the respect of the person next to you. And if you have a need in your body, if you need a miracle, whatever that is, God knows. I'm not trying to dress this thing up. I want you to raise your hand. I see that hand. There's many hands. And as you have those hands up, you can, where you are, we're going to believe that God is going to touch you. He's going to minister you right now. But I'm going to invite you to go one step further. Completely up to you. If you believe that Jesus can do what he's promised, I want you to get up out of your seats. Come to the front. And we would love to pray with you. Prayer team, members of those of you who are here today, I want you to come forward. And we're going to believe with you that God is going to meet you right where you're at. That he can just say the word and your whole circumstance will be changed forever. To the glory of God.